So you have here angels and urchins. You can decide which ones are which uh, as we go through this. So I think the general theme is that there's private money and more private money all the time coming into children's media, but not necessarily for linear children's media, television shows. So uh, that's what we're here to talk about today, and what are the criteria for this private money coming in and what people want to invest in. So on my left, far left, is Jan Matern, who's the CEO of Emer uh, Emerge Venture Labs. Uh, on my immediate left, Genevieve Dexter, who uh, runs uh, and owns Serious Lunch. Uh, to my immediate right is uh, Dylan Collins, who's CEO of lots of titles here, CEO of uh, Super Awesome. Uh, and he's an investor. He was your uh, illustrious keynote speaker the other night. He's also the director of the finest animation uh, studio in Europe, Brownback Films, of which I was, I'm also a director. Um, and beside him is um, Jean de Fougerolles. Yes. Thank you. A uh, fellow Canadian, um, uh, runs Ascension Media, which is an SEIS investor. We'll talk a bit more about that. So I thought we'd start with uh, Genevieve, who is um, from our the television space and actually is involved in the um, uh, business of raising money for television series. And uh, so Genevieve, tell us a bit about what you do, how you raise your money, what for, and what kind of <clears throat> criteria you have. Yeah, I've, um, I think the, uh, the, the project probably most relevant to talk to you about is um, a project called um, Okido. Um, I met uh, the producers of it, uh, Squint Opera, here at CMC two years ago. Um, and they ran up to me and they said, we've got a commission from CBBS, but we've never made a show before. Um, and we now need to go and find um, 3.5 million pounds. Um, and that's exactly uh, what I like doing, weirdly. Um, and so we went about raising that finance and that comes from a variety of uh, places. So once you've tapped the pre-sales to international companies, um, Media Plus funding, the tax break, we still had a gap of £1.5 million. Um, and I suggested that we try and raise this from EIS funding. So we put together a, an information memorandum, which is a sort of a 40-page document you need to do to raise venture capital. Um, and we did a huge roadshow uh, using a company called Investors. Um. So just to, just so everybody knows, EIS, what, would you tell everybody what, what the EIS funding is? Okay, um, EIS is the Enterprise Investment Scheme. It's a, it's a scheme run by the government whereby investors, um, if they put their money into your show, they get a 30% a, a tax break. So for each pound they put in, they get 30p back, um, and they can also defer capital gains and other benefits to them. Okay. Um, <coughs> So we did this huge road show, standing up at, it's a bit like Dragon's Den, you know, you stand up, you've got eight minutes, and you say why they should invest in your show, and why it's going to make money, and why it's different from all the other shows, and um, and after, after you get up, somebody else has got a new form of making coffee, um, <laughs> or a new medical instrument, uh, and, and the investors are looking whether they're going to invest, invest in yours, or the voice recognition software, so... You're talking to people who don't understand your business in general. Um, and most of the people in the room, um, if they've come out of, um, you know, if they've come out of the pharmaceutical industry, they probably want to invest in the pharmaceutical industry because they understand it. Um, and having done this enormous roadshow, I think we raised about 100,000 um, pounds. And 
although we were, we did now have this amazing information memorandum document that we could show to anybody who wanted to put some money in. And I think the reason we failed on that round um, was because we didn't have a master toy partner. We were not able to demonstrate route to market. So the two things that they're looking for is, A, the management team. So maybe they just didn't like us. I don't know. Uh, they're looking at the management team. Who are you? How likely are you to succeed? Highly mm. important. And the second one is, do you have a route to market? How are you going to achieve these projections that you've put in the, in the document? Um, but we did actually get the money in the end, and we got the other 1.4 million by phoning up every single person we knew who had any money. Um, and they put their money in because they knew us, and that if we didn't make it back, um, you know, we're probably going to meet a nasty end. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm joking. We, we, you know, because they knew us, and so we were implicated. Um, and as soon as we got some sort of friends and family money in, um, and the old adage says, uh, goes, friends, family, and fools. Um, but really, if you're invested and your friends and your family are invested, then people will invest because you're 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 at risk. And you really, really have to succeed or your whole social life will fall apart. <laughs> so why didn't it, you did all these, this roadshow, you raised 100 grand. And why is that? Is that because the investing, I mean, you said, yes, you didn't have the straight route to market. But if you, do you think if you had had that, 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 that a television investment would stack up as well as the other things that they were looking at? Well, I mean, I had done a successful raise um, prior to that, which is why I went out going, oh, you know, this is easy, we, you know, we do it this way. We did it for um, a show called Ollie the Little White Van. Um, but it was different in that we had de-risked Ollie the Little White Van in a way that we hadn't de-risked Okido. Um, Ollie the Little White Van, we had already made three or four episodes and had put them on air and had a master toy deal with Hornby. So it was kind of... It's like it's almost like, and then you say, well, if I had Master Toy and I've got enough money to make four episodes, then why do I need the VC money? You know, it's it's almost a, it's a fine line where you get to such give them such a massive comfort factor that by the time you get to that comfort factor, you're wondering why you need their money at all. So it's it, it's kind of a very fine corridor. Uh, where there's a balance of, 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 of need and uh, desire to invest. So would you say that the, the magic sauce in a deal like that, a television deal, is that you have to have a deal, something like a toy deal that has unlimited upside? Because as we know, television is you know, plus or minus 10%. You kind of know where you're yeah. going to be. But with a toy deal or other kinds of licensing merchandising, you can sort of sell the potential gold mine. Is that, and do you need that a deal like that to entice people? I, th I think I think yes, you do, or you can balance that with other factors like um, your Ardman, or you know you've got a really really established studio. In this, in in both cases, we didn't have an established studio. Uh, they, neither company had made a series before, or they probably wouldn't need me. Um, and so, in the first instance, we just de-risked it by making four or five episodes and saying, "See, look and." It's really just a question of continuing this pipeline. Um, that was, that's the other interesting thing about VC. Everybody else who's raising money for the coffee maker and the pharmaceutical instrument is raising money as they go in stages. And they have milestones to achieve, and then people will put more money in. And that's how funding works. So you have your seed funding, then you raise 
you know, more money, you increase the value of the company, and each time you're raising, you're, you're, you know, you're raising more money against a, a lower percentage of the company. So it's, it's, a, right. it's sort of stages. Yeah. The problem with fitting television production into this model is that there is no a short way of saying that the series, there's a finite that the use of money is for four million quid, and that's what you need to make the show. Right. In the case of Ollie, we raised the money as we were in production, and it's, it's one of the most terrifying and stressful things I've ever done, um, because you're sort of literally, you know, you're in production and you're raising money to feed this, you know, it's, it's like running around busking to feed a large family at home is the closest way I could describe it. <laughs> and where do you think this is going to go with the EIS funding? Do you think they'll, as more shows are, well, presumably you'd have to show a level of success and track record with EIS-backed shows. But what's, what's your sense of, as more and more EIS money comes into the system, will television programming be able to compete with other offerings out there with these tax investors? Or is it absolutely vital, if someone came to you, that they would have to have a toy deal or something that showed potentially unlimited upside. That, that, that is an absolute must I, if it's an independent, unknown independent producer. I mean, there's, there's a few companies out there doing that. I mean, more and more people are doing it. Um, uh, you know, a few mm -hmm. years ago, there was only a couple of EIS information, uh, investment memorandums um, running around. And now I see that they're all over the place. And, and I've read lots and lots of them. And the funny thing is they all say the same thing. Um, and at the end, they say exit, you yeah. know, exit strategy. Um, and it says, you know, as, you know, Postman Pat was bought out by DreamWorks and as uh, yeah. Peppa Pig was bought by E1, this is why you're going to achieve your multiple of 20 in 10 years. And the people reading these these things, I mean, they're go you're going to see the example is exactly this. I think they must be all copying the same uh, template. Um, but, um, um, and the fact is, and this leads quite neatly on to the other people here, is that... Um, investors are sometimes more interested in a company. They didn't buy Postman Bat, they bought classic media. They didn't buy uh, Peppa Pig, they bought E1. Yeah. And it, it's quite rare for somebody to go in and you know, cherry pick a, 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 a property, perhaps because people don't want them to, but yeah. I, I don't know. Well, that's, that's very interesting that I hadn't really thought of that, that the, the impediment in television programming, you know, that's, we're all so flaky. It's that um, that you can't just fund a bit of it. You have to fill the order. It costs three and a half. Yeah. The order from the deed was three and a half million quid. You have to raise three and a half million quid. It can't be three. It can't be two and a half. It has to be everything or nothing. Yes. And that's the problem. Which uh, thanks for the segue to um, to to, uh, to Jan. So Jan, Merge Venture Labs, you're focused on startups in the social environmental space. Can you tell us a bit about what you do and how? And it sounds like you've had reasonably little in the, to do with the kids area right now, but that may change. Yeah, so as you say, I'm coming at this from a kind of technology and education angle rather than a children's media angle. Uh, Emerge Venture Lab is a company I founded about three years ago and which currently focuses on its uh, flagship program, Emerge Education. Uh, and this really exists to help find amazing learning technology companies around the world that focus on children, young people, uh, students, and adult learners. Um, and provide them with a three-month business development support based in London that connects them to potential customers, potential partners. In the process, pays them a, a 15,000 pound stipend and then connects them to investors after the program to help them get funded. Uh, and in exchange for that service, we take a small equity fee in the, in the companies we support and we do about 20 a year. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
we, we've so far not done any direct investments in media or kind of interaction stuff for children, um, but we're currently selecting our next cohort, and there are a few companies in there that are working in this area that are actually looking quite interesting. Thank you. Um, so, Jean, you, um, uh, so um, Genevieve's been involved in the EIS space, where your specialty is the SEIS space, as we get into all these acronyms. So SEIS is rather than the 30% tax rate, investor gets a 50% tax break, but they're much more limited in terms of how much they can put into a project and how much a company can raise. Yes, so, so SEIS is kind of the, the young brother of EIS, so it's been around for about 18 months now, and the S stands for seed, seed meaning early stage. So, so yes, instead of being 30% tax break up front, it's, it's 50%, and then the added benefit is you can write off 50% um, of your capital gain, so, so that can give you another 14%. So for an investor on a £100,000 investment, they're looking at £64,000, assuming they have the t right taxes to pay, can come back within months of making that investment. And then there's also downside protection if that investment fails, um, they can write off another 22.5%. So the risk capital is 13.5%. Um, and then the upside as well is that you don't pay any capital gains um, if it exits at a high multiple. So it's basically been set up by, by the government to encourage um, high net worths to kind of become angels and try and replicate what happens in the US where you can go to a dinner party and raise you know, half a million bucks by the end of dinner, and that's much, been much more difficult in the UK. So that's the motivation. The restrictions are the company has to be, for SEIS, um, no more than two years old, so it's really focused on startups. Um, and a company can only raise £150,000 under SEIS, and then for follow-on funding, they'll look to a venture company or more, more likely an EIS um, group of angels. And are you like Genevieve, you call your rich friends, or do you actually have a more systematic way of raising money? Um, we call our rich friends, and we, um, we have deals with um, IFAs and wealth management companies as well. Independent financial advisors. Yeah, yeah. independent financial advisors. So, so we're kind of, um, I think we're not really for angels. Angels, um, as Genevieve said, they like to kind of sit in the room, choose the entrepreneur, mm. Preferably, your, your angel investors got some background so they can add value. Um, our investors are more people that just have a lot of tax to pay and, and they're taking a bit of a punt, so they, they put the money into the fund and then we, we run around town going to you know, demo days and incubators and basically getting proposals and meeting entrepreneurs. Right, so when someone invests you, they're investing in a portfolio of- Yeah, they don't want to go down to Tech City on a Wednesday night. There might be an investment banker right. who's busy or they might be a doctor from Birmingham. Right. So they don't want to be running around town meeting and choosing entrepreneurs. It's a different type of investor. And you've, got, you've done about 20 odd investments at this point. We've right? done 14 investments okay. um, focused basically on digital media companies. So we look at where the UK has been traditionally very strong in the creative industries, which is games, kids, TV, um, fashion, publishing, and um, on video. And then anything that's technology-based um, that links to those industries, that's kind of our focus. And, and Night Zookeeper was a, an investment you made in this space. So Night Zookeeper was one of the first ones we did um, about um, 15 months ago. So that's they've been at the conference. They've spoken a few times. That's a – well, it was based on a book originally, and now we've, they've built out a kind of cross-platform virtual world. Um, where kids basically are helping the night zookeeper um, fight monsters in this game, and 
And the reason we liked it is because um, we could see some scalable intellectual property that can go not only from a digital game, there's an educational element, there's obviously a book element, and hopefully TV and then licensing and merchandising. So that's kind of the end of the market that we took. So it. when they came to you with yeah. this, what did they have? And that convinced you, yes, this would be a good investment for your fund. So when we're doing the seed investment, it's very early stage. So, so they came out of the Wira incubator, which is Telefonica's incubator. So they'd been in there for a year. They had a good founding team, which is fundamental is the team. So you had a very good CEO um, who was the visionary, an amazing developer who was building the stuff, um, an ex-primary school teacher that was linking it to their curriculum, and a, an amazing designer. So they had a very good co-founding team. They had what's called a minimal viable product. So all they had at that time were a couple of apps and a free product into school, but they were hitting about 25% of the UK schools with a free product. And they had a vision of building this world, this game. And then I've, I've had quite a bit of experience in the kids industry, so I knew that although there are a few of them, there is the kind of the moshi monsters and the angry birds that, that start digital and move into kind of the, the real world. Right. Um, in terms of licensing and merchandising and TV. So you had a good team, a, uh, a project you can get involved with, with a sort of minimal investment, yeah. but that had a, a runway to something that could be huge. Yeah, so the other key thing, um, and this is kind of strange because I used to run a startup where our, our cost base was much higher, but in these days, in the world that I live in, it's incredibly lean, um, the lean investment. So, so all these startups, so if we're putting in 150,000 pounds, we would like them to have at least 12 months runway. So their cost base of these businesses is kind of 10, 15,000 pounds a month. So if, if the cost base is too high, it becomes uninvestable because they're going to run out of money before they can prove to the next investor that they actually have traction. And, so, you, and because the SAS rules, they can't have any more SEIS money. No, but then we work with the portfolio businesses um, you know, helping them develop their businesses. But one of the key pieces to that is is getting follow-on funding. And and the place where Zookeeper have gone, apart from they had a grant from the Big Venture Challenge, but they went to one of these EIS angel networks and they raised 260,000 pounds through that. So it is possible to go, there are these angel communities like London right. Business Angels, right. Angels in the City, and that's a room like this of 40, 50 angels and, and they get five minute pitches as Genevieve was, was saying. Um, but I don't think they, those angel networks have the firepower to do a 1.5 million, because it's exactly right, they want to have milestones. I said, we'll put 500 in, right. and you've got to hit this, this, this in the next 12 months. Um, but to kind of bet a couple million on, on something, which you would need in the TV production, I think right. is beyond the individuals. But Genevieve succeeded, but I think it's congratulations for that, it's tough. She's got lots of rich friends. <laughs> Hopefully, still Not after this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's so the key thing is that so once you get involved, but then because it's a reasonably short period of time, yeah. they have then you help them go to the next stage, finding yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm in the process of, of raising hopefully a larger fund for later stage investments. But and what's the general sense, the general feeling in the investment community? Do you think about uh, kids' IP, about kids' properties in general? Is there, is there, are they considered attractive because of see, they see things like Moshi Monster and these kind of successes? I mean, I think they are attractive. It'd be interesting to get Dylan's view. I mean, I, I haven't seen too many, too many other funds investing in kind of kids and games. Um, I think they're seen as one-hit wonders, and obviously you do have 
um, Clash of Clans and, and the usual names that get um, rolled up. But there aren't hundreds of those, just like there aren't hundreds of Thomas the Tank Engines. Right. I like the kids space because I understand it. Um, I'm not sure if a lot of the VCs come from a kid's background. Right. So Dylan, you're a massive fan of uh, linear television and the future of linear TV. Hugely, hugely. And yeah, uh, hugely. so uh, why don't you talk about what, because uh, you're obviously a big specialist and expert in this space, uh, was super awesome on the marketing side and as an investor and a mutual involvement in brown bag, you know the space really well. What in kids media is investable? What's interesting to you? And what do you think the private money is going to be in this space in the next while? Um, that's a really good question. I, I think it's probably, before I answer that, it's, it's worth talking about how venture capital funds actually work. Because you, you've probably, anyone who's seen the social network or read anything on TechCrunch will probably hear a lot of VCs saying, we are looking for billion dollar companies. We only invest in billion dollar companies. Something, 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 billion dollar companies. Um, there is actually a pretty good reason for that. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a venture partner in Hoxton Ventures, and we're, I suppose you'd call us a seed stage investor uh, in London. So we typically invest between about half a million and two million quid um, in companies. And we have a fairly broad remit, and, and we do absolutely look at, look at kids stuff as well, um, and, and, and tech and enterprise and cloud. Um, the reality of a VC fund is that the, you know, a third of your money you're going to lose. It is essentially you're going to take a third of the money your LPs have given you and you're setting it on fire. It is not coming back. The second third of your money, and this is just the statistical distribution of this, the second third of your money, you will probably get back precisely what you put in, um, which obviously isn't brilliant if you're an investor in that VC fund. So you are then relying on one third of your money to generate an actual return for your investors. And it gets even better. The guys who are running the VC fund, so guys like me and, and Hussein and Rob, we only start to make money when the fund has returned about 120 or 130%, right? So you're relying on about 33% of your fund to deliver at least 120%, ideally much more than that, of your fund, right? And if that doesn't scare the shit out of you, it really should. Because that, that's difficult economics. So when we're looking at a company, we're essentially looking at a company going, okay, assuming this fairly normal distribution of returns, can this company deliver you know, at least the fund, ideally a multiple of the fund, in terms of an outcome, be it an exit or an IPO or, or, or something in between? And when you start to think about that, you kind of go, shit, there's a whole bunch of companies that I'd love to invest in, which are good and interesting, but realistically aren't going to be able to achieve the kind of returns that our fund needs to give to our investors. So that's when you start to come around to, okay, when you're looking at billion dollar companies and billion dollar exits, you're thinking about, you know, is the market that this company, this startup, this set of founders are operating in, can it help us uh, get to an outcome that is at least this sort of big? And, you know, and the bigger your fund gets, you know, you look at things like Andreessen Horowitz and, and, and all the big Excel funds, you know, they're, they're faced with an even bigger set of economics because they've, you know, got to deliver um, relatively larger returns uh, to their investors as well. So, you know, I would say one of the biggest challenges, I mean, we, you know, by virtue of, of, of my involvement with Hoxton, we absolutely look at kid stuff. Uh, I would love to look at more and more kid stuff. Um, you know, I, I think one of the challenges that you'll hear from VCs in general, if you pitch them, um, is that, you know, there haven't been enough exits in the kid space. You know, there's been Club Penguin, there's been Awesomeness TV, 
and there have been one or two others, you know, we need to see more exits. Um, you know, and, and that sounds as if VCs are sort of very trend or fashion driven. Of course they're not. They are a little. Um, but you know, we, we, we do need to take comfort that you know, there are buyers out there for, for these sorts of properties. That said, I, I think now we are in a time where there, there are huge opportunities for digital kids' IPs. You know, there are going to be more Minecrafts. Nobody saw Minecraft coming, and by the time everyone did, it was, it was too late. Um, but there are going to be more of those, and we will see more of them. And, and you know, there will be more Moshis, and there will be more Super Awesomes and things like that. So what is it? So if someone, you've, got, you've got to place a bunch of bets, most of which will, a third of which will fail, a third will maybe break even, a third mm. are your winners. Right. Someone walks in the door with a kid, some kids' IP. What are the elements you're looking for? Is it the team? Is it your, just your, your gut feel about the property? What is it that would make you so, invest? So, so I think on, on, you know, in terms of where we invest as a fund, um, and I guess this is slightly different to me personally, although I try and do most of it through Hoxton, um, you know, first of all, it, it's that market size, right? So do we think in terms of the IP or the angle or the general plan, you know, is this something that can grow into, into, into a big potential exit? Is there a big interesting market there? Secondly, at our stage, because we're, we're at a slightly different point, point than John, we will, we will look for, for, for ideally for kind of traction in terms of revenue or what else have you got going on around this, you know? In terms of the team, we'll usually look for a team that's sort of done stuff before, that's delivered and that's executed. Uh, and in particular, we're looking for a team who can hire really, really well. I think it's one of the things that we don't talk about enough when we invest. It, you know, the existing team is obviously critical. Can they hire people who are better than them? You know, that's absolutely fundamental and absolutely crucial. To that point, so let's say a television, like a linear TV producer, the kind you love, the business yeah. you love, yeah. walks in and they've got a great piece of IP and they said, look, we don't have the skill set for this. We are linear television producers, but we're going to hire great people. Mm -hmm. Would you invest in them? It, we'd, we'd, we'd need to spend time with them and figure out if they could. I mean, the answer is maybe, right? I mean, I, I think fundamentally, right, and I, I do love kids' content and the importance of content in the market cannot be understated enough. Or... Uh, is understated, cannot be overstated enough. I think the biggest challenge that we have as an industry is that we don't have enough specific investors and specific fund investors who are focusing on the kids' market. We have some, but not enough. And it's, I, I, I kind of mentioned this on Wednesday, it's part of what our ecosystem is lacking. You know, there are huge opportunities here, but where other industries would go in terms of venture and angel investors, we don't have as much of that, and we, we, we do need more of it. No, so we, we, would, we, we would look at it. Could we do it? I don't know. But I also think, I mean, I'm not an expert expert, but looking at the UK market, you've got the BBC. I don't see, so one of my concerns, because I do get pitched um, shows, and it's great shows, but I don't really see, apart from the BBC, kind of who else is actually writing checks in the UK. So investing in an industry where you've got one buyer that's you know, likely to get the thing off the ground is... is from my perspective, not very safe. Right, okay, so we've got it. I guess it's the point I want to come to. You, you, you spent your career in linear kids television. You've got one big buyer and that's it. You're seeing that this is not a great long-term business to be in. You've got to get into the digital space. How would you advise a producer, a television producer, to make that leap? What do they need to do? Do they have to reskill themselves? Do they have to hire uh, the right people to more or less sort of take over their company? What would you suggest to someone who wants to sort of reinvent their company, if not themselves? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that you need to start looking at lots and lots of partnerships with a lot of the digital companies. If you look, if you look at all the big games companies right now, if you look at, at companies like 
Rovio and, and um, Zepto Labs and Outfit7 and guys like that, they are all struggling with good content development. You know, and they can do what you can't do, which is probably distribution, digital distribution in terms of bringing eyeballs to your content. I would be going and talking to a lot of those big guys and saying, you know, tell me, tell me your, tell me your content problems, you know, and tell me what you want to do next. Um, because a lot of these guys are realizing that, you know, if, if you look at the, and I don't want to sort of jump too far away from this, but, you know, if you look at, at companies like, like, um, like the ones I've mentioned, they're trying to figure out whether they're going to be a games publisher or an entertainment company mm -hmm. over time, right? And a lot of them are experimenting, and a lot of them realize that they actually need linear content as part of that offering, right. you know. And I think it, it, it's, you know, we're at that point where we need to have lots of those conversations, because it's, it's, you ask a simple question, it's not a simple answer. Right. And I think you need to go and, and speak to all those people and listen to what they want and start thinking right. about what kind of content you're creating. Because it's, I guess the point is it's not that television has no place in private investment. It's just that it doesn't really start there. It starts with a property that can be scaled up, that builds a brand that has a track record, which makes it more probable to get its investment from more the, conventional sources like the, television. The, 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 the big kids' brands of the future, the next wave, you know, we've seen the first wave of digital kids' brands, right? The Angry Birds, uh, the Moshies, the Cut the Ropes, etc. And they have, I mean, have they been billion dollar brands? Close to it, right, in many cases. The next wave of digital kids brands are going to be even bigger. I absolutely guarantee they are going to be billion dollar, two billion dollar brands. And they're starting to bubble up right now. And they are going to come from content. There's no doubt about it. So, you know, we've been ignoring you a bit. Uh, so, um, I just want to ask you, you, you seem to be involved a lot in helping startups get themselves ready for investment. Do you uh, spend much time getting people retrained a bit or reskilled to sort of make themselves more presentable for um, investment? Um, in really small ways. So we wouldn't invest in a team that we didn't think was already presentable to investors. Uh, but what we do get a lot is you know, genius developers, um, great teachers that have an idea that can really improve the classroom and have the customer empathy that we're really looking for. Uh, but they might be really crap at kind of sales management or uh, you know, presenting themselves to investors. Uh, and you kind of go, that's okay, they'll hire a third person that is a great business developer and we'll take that over. But in the meantime, they need to raise money after our three-month program. So we bring in actors to help them present themselves. We bring in investors that coach them on a weekly basis on their pitch decks, on how they pre present their company, and so on. So yeah, absolutely. I mean. The, the entire thesis of the program is that we bring in experts that um, you know make them uh, much more powerful in the way that they present their company, um, as well as just actually helping the company uh, get along. Great. Uh, we don't have a lot of time left, so I think we'll open up to questions now. Um. Hello, we're a team of founders. We recently built a startup that exited uh, and did pretty well, but we'd like to go again because we want a really big outcome. Uh, here's a product that we're building uh, into a market that's currently worth about three or 400 million that everyone thinks is, not, is gonna be quite small, but here's what we found out about it and we think it's gonna be $2 billion. Something like that would be lovely. Um, the, um, oh, and by the way, we haven't gone to any other investors yet. Um, and we're willing to sign a term sheet right now. Um, Sounds like something Genevieve would say, raising money for a TV show. Yeah, right, right. Good point, actually. Uh, so I, sorry, that probably wasn't a terribly helpful answer. Can, can you kind of refine the question a bit more?
uh, well, wherever someone wants to pay money for them. I mean, like, I, I'm really not, not trying to be funny. Uh, it's my natural personality. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're looking for companies that can grow, and we're looking for people who can, who, who can grow them. And whether, that is, whether that's enterprise software, you know, whether that is, you know, in theory, kids' IP, um, whether it's anything across the board, we're, you know, we, we have a, a general focus across, you know, digital media, enterprise software, cloud. So, you know, that's sort of our backgrounds. Ideally, although not exclusively, we sort of invest in areas that we know or have experience in, or frankly, where we can be useful. Because at the end of the day, it's it's not, and I, you know, I don't think anyone here would would say that that investing. Well, in some cases, it's quite hands off from a venture perspective and at, at seed stage, you know, and, and even at, at incubator stage, it's pretty hands on. You know, we're yeah, we're putting money in, but it's in our interest to make sure that you succeed. So we want to be helpful, and we can be most helpful where we actually know what we're talking about. So I, ideally, and I think actually as an extension of that, you know, if you're out pitching and raising investment, I would really think about who you're pitching. Um, you know, sometimes if, if, you're ra if you're raising Angel or you're raising E or SEIS, you know, you know, maybe you don't necessarily want smart money and you want investors who can write checks. But I think the, 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 the later stage that you go and the bigger that you're getting, ideally you really want the investors who know and understand where you're going. And if you can focus on those, you're probably going to get a better reception. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Angel, if you're doing SEIS or EIS money, having angels that know your industry and have the contacts um, is hugely valuable. So Genevieve, let's ask the same question to you. If someone walks in the door, what, what kind of, what would you be looking for before you wanted to spend your time and, and effort uh, raising EIS money? What would you need to, in terms of team, in terms of project or age category, whatever? I think it would have to um, ideally, obviously have a, have a in, in my world, have a, have a broadcast um, platform. I can help you find that broadcast platform, but I find that usually broadcasters want to speak to the originators and the creators, uh, and I can sort of assist to lend, um, you know, business affairs to that scenario. But I think it's it's for you guys to 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 approach your broadcasters direct and get to know them. And so, from my point of view, it's important that um, the 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 product is large enough really to warrant all of that effort I don't think it's you wouldn't go to EIS for 26 by three minutes uh, for example it's got to be you know 50 to 11 it's got to have some toyetic element to it or um, perhaps a provenance from a, a, a book or an established IP and because you're pitching to people who don't understand the business and they need easy entry points Right, so and what sort of percentage of the budget would you look to see covered by a television sale? It, it doesn't, actually, doesn't actually really matter. Um, it, can, it can be zero, as you know, in, uh, um, Channel 5 are increasingly doing um, you know, zero, uh, zero pound deals on a, on a use it or lose it basis. And people criticise it, but I've actually had experience where um, that has been an advantage. Because as soon as they take it off air for whatever reason, you can move it to another channel. And we, and we had that with Ollie the Little White Van. It was on ITV. They stopped transmitting preschool programs. You've got toys in the market. Mm -hmm. uh, they decide to axe their preschool block, you know, disaster. We had a use it or lose it contract, so we moved it over to Milkshake and to Cartoonito and to Boomerang. And now it's, it, it's starting to flourish again, but you can get those sort of, sort of disaster moments. And if you're locked into a five-year contract, 
with a broadcaster and they're not transmitting your program anymore, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. Any other questions? I, I just had a statistical question for Dylan because you talked about 120% return. And is that 120% return after recouping the initial investment or 20% after recouping the initial investment? Are you, are you David Kleeman? Uh, no, I'm just watching Twitter and seeing what people are saying about it. No, that, I mean that—that's you know that—that's. He's talking about it on Twitter. Yeah. The well, I think because I was kind of—I was kind of misquoting me on that. I mean that—that's kind of a general fund. I mean I'm quoting general VC fund economics, just to be clear. Um, the the typically VC funds are structured on, on a carry basis. So once you return 120 percent, the 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 GPs, the general partners running it, start to share in the actual profits of the uh, of the returns. So it's 120, it's 130. It, it depends on the fund, but that's a general thing. So not so not an individual company return, total fund return. Yeah. Um, how far down the line should we be with an IP in terms of talking to broadcasters? before we come to the likes of yourselves in, in respect of investment? You know, is it chicken and egg situation? Um, Jenny, Jenny do you want to start with that? Sorry, do you, do you mean, when you mean how far should you be down the road with an IP, do you mean in terms of so if we've got our, or? Sure, if, if we've got our IP and we're talking to the likes of Disney, CBBs, and, and they're warm, should we be coming to you at that point, before that point? Is there any sort of recommendation to sort of approach with investors on that Respect. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's definitely, it's definitely worth taking some advice um, before you sign your deal uh, with the broadcaster because it will affect um, yeah. the rest of the, the rest of the raise. Um, so yes, you know, we, we can do that. It's ideal, in fact, isn't it? If, if it's before they've signed on the dotted line, so you can pick up any. Yeah, make make sure that there aren't there aren't you know you could you, you know the VOD question you know rails on and is still unresolved um, so you have to keep chipping away at that one but there are other things you need to watch out for um, and take advice on if you're not uh, you know, if, you haven't, if you're not a seasoned producer um, It's a question more around the uh, how much do you need to have with you when you go to an investor for the first time so specifically around things like um, probably more so within the digital space. So uh, if you're approaching somebody with an idea for an app, for example, would you, how much, how worked up would you like to see that? Would you like to see a, uh, a prototype? Would you like to see a working demo? Would you like to see something in market? Or is just storyboards fine? Um, I've invested in both. So it kind of, it comes back to how interesting the product is and the team, um, but I'm surprised by how advanced um, some of the products are when by the time they hit us. So we prefer an MVP, but I have invested in stuff based on a PowerPoint, but just because I thought the idea was big and the team was very good. I think for us, it's, it's very good to have a co-founder who's the guy who's actually going to build it, i.e. a techie as part of the team, because that's building this stuff is, can be the biggest cost if you have to outsource it and 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 you just want a very passionate committed co-founder who can actually do the work as opposed to outsourcing it to Belarus which always goes terribly wrong I think uh, that probably also differs across the kind of stage of investor you're looking at so we would absolutely consider a pure idea if the team was excellent uh, and that would be kind of competitive to the other um, applicants to the to the program, um, but we do get you know more than 50% of the companies that apply actually like, are making money uh, already, 
so you have to compete against those on other criteria like uh, your, your team or um, what, what you've done before uh, to be competitive. Hi, um, Genevieve, can I just ask how you take out your, your money or your share? You pay the a straight fee, do you get a percentage of money raised, do you take a share in the business? I mean, how, how do you um, find your individual way within these projects in terms of earning, earning something? Jen, you want to start with that? Uh, sure, yes. Um, um, in, some cases, um, in some cases, you are interested in, uh, in equity in the, in the property or, or in the company, and in some cases you can have a, a sort of a convertible structure, as it were. Um, you know, especially if you're starting in a project with people that you don't know uh, at all, you're meeting for the first time and they're saying let's do a project together, you're probably not going to form a JV uh, Im immediately. And so um, with myself and, and, and a lot of the other companies uh, like Bob & Co, um, there are fees payable in order to get the, get the property primed uh, for market and get it, uh, get it properly uh, presented. Um, and then there is a success fee which is payable uh, upon success, i.e. Uh, raise, raising the money. Um, and then you have an option to convert that into, um, in, into equity um, if you feel that that's the right thing to do at that moment. And Jan, yeah, you said it with your business, you take, a, you take a slice of the equity if it goes forward, don't you? Yeah, I mean, so the way that we kind of survive on a day-to-day -day <laughs> basis is so we take a fee from the investors. Right. Uh, and the way that we build assets over time is that we take a percentage in the businesses that we support. Okay, and same goes for you guys. Well, so. we, we take your soul. <laughs> <laughs> Preferably, yeah. yeah. Uh, Alison? Hi there. Um, this is probably a more um, Jean or, or, or Dylan. I'm interested in your patience because if you think about uh, exiting, uh, traditionally, if you're investing in an animated series, it's going to take a couple of years of development, maybe same time again funding. Then you have to animate it. Then you have to put it on TV and exploit it. And if you look at things like Peppa Pig, uh, that took nearly 10 years to become the brand that everybody now is in the EIS schemes that Genevieve goes to pitch at. So what what is the length of time you're prepared to wait when you're making an investment to get your exit? Um, it's an interesting question. There's a lot of talk about this in uh, on the West Coast at the moment because everybody is seeing exit windows getting further and further out. You know, and whereas I think, you know, if you look at funds that were raised in um, maybe pre two thousand and eight, you know, they might have had a slightly shorter exit window, five to seven. You know, now people are realistically talking about kind of seven to ten years in terms of of, of you know coming out of of let's say an an average enterprise software, a cloud software company. So I, I you know, there's 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 an awful lot of um, everyone talks about sort of a tech bubble. I actually think it's more of a tech reporting bubble. Uh, sorry, not you, Stuart. Um, but because people talk about investments, and you see a lot of headlines about investments, but you actually see much less about the exits that are going on. And I think there's less and less exits out there. So and you said, you said and that's an especially a problem in the kids' media area. There's been fewer exits than ideal. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that, that doesn't help either. Um, I, you know, there the, the will certainly be more. But I, I would say as a, if you talk to most VCs, I think they will probably talk about a lengthening exit horizon. Yes. So, I mean, that's, 
there was something on TechCrunch last week, and, and it said exactly that. Um, so there's analysis on this that you can find. But mm -hmm. the entrepreneur will always say three to five years, but it's always, you know, if ever, it's, but it's seven to ten years is what I'm looking at. I think mm. so, uh, a lot of the people I talk to, and you know, sometimes we overemphasize the exit strategy in the IM, uh, because a lot of the people who ended up investing said, you know, I don't, I don't want to get out. I, you know, I want, I want to be part of something, um, and I want revenue. And if we make money, you know, I'd quite like to reinvest it because I know you're going to get Series Two and Series mm. Three, and those are the things that you need to make a, to make a brand. And um, so exit is not always what, what people are looking for. So that sounds like an aficionado. I mean, that sounds that's someone who's like really into kids, kids shows rather than like an investor, right? It's a really interesting profile. Let's say you've got 300,000 pounds. You can buy a flat in Streatham and rent it out and make two grand a, two grand a month, okay? If, you, um, if, you've got, if you haven't got, if you've only got 50,000, then you're probably looking at small investments. But if you've already invested all the money and you've still got some more over and you're still looking, so, you know, very specific individuals. Somebody, for example, investors in, um, in Ollie, but, you know, big guy in Qatar, made a lot of money in electronics, wants to start a new business area that he finds uh, interesting. Another guy um, had set up a feature film company um, wasn't doing very well, but wanted to use his investment to learn, to be a, a route to learn more about the market to enhance his position. Another one looking for an NED right. position. All the profiles are very different. But is this not similar to what uh, people who invest in theater productions on the West End? Is it that kind of thing? They want to be associated with, with things that are a bit more fun and sexy than investing in widgets and whatnot. So, sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's respectability. If, if you if you've made your money in um, you know in waste management. Um, Muck and brass, yeah. And you, you're now absolutely loaded, and you go to lots and lots of dinner parties, and people say, "Oh, what do you do?" Uh, and you can say, "Well, I invest in um, educational children's programs." So if you've got something that has a, if you have something that has a mission, that is that is also because they want to give back at this stage. They've they've fracked the world, and they want to give back. <laughs> so find some nice. Nice fracker you can do. <laughs> uh, anything else? So we should, one more question, and we'll have to ring off. That's it. Okay, we've got a closing comment. Is that finally at the CMC, we're having a closing keynote at Showroom Cinema 4 at 3:30. Michael Acton Smith will be will present Mind Candy's big new idea, where he will unveil Mind Candy's newest app, a revolutionary new creative community for seven to twelve year olds that will become a platform for content creators to connect with their fans. So there you go. It's very applied to this session. Thanks all for coming and uh, enjoy the rest of what's left of the session. <laughs>